Hello, Raphael. What's up, Joey? <laughs> And you? Yeah, I just got back from the beach. I tried to take uh, <laughs> one hour. One hour at the beach per day is definitely uh, the way to get my head clear. <laughs> really? And then you just walk, or what do you do? No, actually, um, I mean, uh, we just lay down on the beach. I'm, I'm like staying right in front of the beach, so I just like leave the house and I'm standing with my feet in the sand. So I just lay down. Do a couple of calls. I don't have to do it at the computer, and just try to take it easy, at least for an hour, hour and a half. It's always good. Nice. But do, where do you live? Germany or? Um, no, I'm. I mean, I'm in Ibiza now. So uh, Ibiza is like became like second home, more or less first home since the last couple of months. Is uh, not like international touring. I'm just uh, playing shows in Germany. So like Ibiza, I'm going back and forth between Ibiza and Germany. How how is it there right now? Because I can imagine that the whole island is kind of deserted. It's uh, quiet. Yeah, <laughs> I've never mm -hmm. seen it quiet. Actually, only in the winter. The winter here is beautiful, but uh, yeah, it looks like I mean, since beginning of September already, it looks like November, October. So uh, it's not that many people. There. You have some some spots where you got a couple more tourists, mostly Spanish, Dutch, German. But not that many anymore. It's uh, actually pretty bad. Since they put uh, Spain on the risk list, um, like everyone left. And uh, yeah. like, I mean, it's hard for people here who live here to make money. I mean, there was no season. Actually, the season was maybe three, four weeks, and even the season was very restricted. And um, yeah, since the the, the red lists, um, there's nothing they can do. They're closing bars and restaurants. No club was open all summer. I mean, just like open air clubs, and they just had to do like the table service thing. Yeah, yeah it's not allowed to dance and to have fun here. That's uh, yeah. totally <laughs> same here. <laughs> kind of seems to be the rule over the world right now, right? Like no, not having fun. <laughs> One year of no fun. That's very important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, just to give the people who listen or watch this this talk. Uh, little bit of insight of who you are if they not know you um who is plastic funk um plastic funk yeah i mean we started uh as a duo um what is it 17 years ago it's quite a long time ago um and we're touring together for years uh, just uh, we did our own parties called the royal funk nights and then the Plastic Fantastic Nights. Uh, we were started producing together like 16, 15 years ago and yeah, released some uh, more successful, some not so more successful tracks on a lot of labels like Ministry of Sound, uh, like uh, on Milk and Sugar Records, on um, Armada and um, on Spinning. Yeah. And like three, four years ago, my, my partner... Um, was just stepping out of the, the whole DJ business because he had some some health issues. He couldn't tour anymore. Uh, he's working as an A&R now. He's doing really well. We're still good friends, but he stepped out. So, yeah, yeah. then it was just me. And like a couple of months after he stepped out, we did like a whole refresh of the brand with the, yeah with just one face. We got signed by um, Stefan Darbrook Management, which is the same management who's taking care of Robin Schulz, uh, Ale Farben, Hugel. And uh, yeah, since then, we, I tried to give um, my sound or our sound a little update and just try to figure out where I want to go to, which took me a while. But uh, yeah, we went back to our roots, to house music and, and any kind of 
direction and uh, that worked out really well. So the last three years were pretty successful. Like everything was doing, actually, uh, I was super happy that everything went so well. Yeah. And since March 7th, <laughs> yeah. pretty different situation. But uh, yeah, music wise, everything is going well. How, how are you dealing with that situation right now? Um, I mean, like in the beginning when, uh, like, it started, like, I was, in, I was in China in January when the whole thing started. So I really, like, uh, experienced it from right from the beginning when, like, people got more scared and um, the whole mess thing started. And um, there was the time where, like, people in Europe didn't even had a clue what was going on. And, uh, and it was already a bit weird because it got like more, more serious. I was playing a 14 day tour and I was playing in China when it started then left to the Philippines and thought like, okay, now we're out of China. We, we heard about like some diseases here and there, like outbreaks in China before. So it was not that shocked, but then it came to the Philippines the same time I was there and they, you heard about more cases. It was on the news like 24 seven. And then I left the Philippines, went to Singapore and I thought like, okay, one of the safe countries in uh, in Asia, and I turned on the TV in a hotel. It was like all about COVID nineteen and like how many uh, like uh, infections they already had. And I left Singapore. It was one of the last shows uh, in Singapore. Uh, three days after I left Singapore, they closed on the country, like no in, no out. So actually, yeah, I left on time. <laughs> yeah. In February, I went back to Asia for a show, two shows in Japan, one show in, in Thailand, and no, two shows in Thailand. And uh, it was already super weird. Um, yeah, there was a lot of rules, and you really felt that something's going to happen. And I was telling this to all my friends in Europe, and no one was believing me that this is going to get serious. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, 7th March was <laughs> the last show, and my, it was one, my party. We were, like, so close to cancel it. Because uh, we didn't know what's going to happen. It was like uh, they were talking about closing clubs down. And it was actually a pretty good show. It was really like an amazing event. We didn't expect anything. We thought like, okay, there's maybe 100 or 200 people. But it was a sold out night and it was good. But yeah, after this, um, partying was over. <laughs> like yeah. the no, for me, I mean, the first couple of weeks of lockdown was just you were like under shock. I mean, you you realize it now that uh, during that time you didn't know what was going on. Now you know much better what really happened. And um, actually, I think for me and for I think quite a lot of my DJ friends, it was maybe a good break because I was touring nonstop for four years. I mean, just last year I did like 190, 200 shows. And, and I stopped counting flights from like three, 350 and more. So it was three hundred, maybe around 400 flights I did in 2019. And I was okay. I mean, I, I really love what I do. And I know how to balance myself with sports and with like eating healthy and try to get my sleep when I'm home. And I'm a workaholic. So I love what I do. So for me, it was never a problem. But uh, once you start sleeping, once you have a... Uh, a, a, like a regular kind of lifestyle, you realize how tired your body is and your whole, how tired your your brain is. And uh, that was pretty interesting. I really, it was like, you know, driving 200 kilometers per hour on a highway and then like, like for three years and then stopping, it's pretty weird. It took me a while to really cool down and to really get myself back to uh, staying home, you know? Yeah. 
But that, that's what I get a lot from the bigger artists who tour a lot. Like it, it just feels strange, you know, because you're so used to constantly being on the move and constantly, um, yeah, working, you know. And and even though it might not feel as work, you still are at work. And <laughs> just as you mentioned, then once you stop, then you start noticing like, oh shit, I might have been more tired than I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah, you're like in this, it's like running through a tunnel, you know, but it, the problem, I think a big problem is, and this is why it's so difficult to have this 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 time out, it's kind of an addiction, you know, um, you're addicted to go back to the airport, you're addicted to tour, until that point you really, um, you really feel burned out, you know, I, for me, it's like, uh, I'm, I have these moments where I just like felt like, okay, I'm really, really tired. And I need to, I need this week. But after three, four days, I always felt like super recovered and uh, was happy to go back on tour. You know, even I have family home and everything is, is, is doing great at home. But it really feels like an addiction now when you think more about it, like after all this time. And I know how happy I was when I was uh, after, I don't know, the lockdown time when I was going on a plane again to the airport and yeah. flying show. I was super happy. So I really, I don't know, it's something between addiction and passion. I think <laughs> that's the best way to do it. Yeah, you know, it, it could also have become a habit, you know, so not necessarily an addiction, but it, it might have become a habit of you as well to, it, it became your comfort zone. Yeah, sure. Mm. But I mean, the first um, couple, that was your question. It was like easier to, to take some time off with <laughs> total different stuff. I started reading books I wanted to read forever. Uh, started my <laughs> the PlayStation contest with some of my friends around the world. We wanted to do forever things. You were like just moving to next year, or next month. You know, uh, you never do, but we did it during that time. Did some uh, renovation in the house here in Ibiza and just try to to use the time in a good way. But I've, for me, like feeling that feeling like you are in prison after four weeks, five weeks, especially in Spain, which had the, the hardest lockdown uh, in yeah. Europe. Uh, was getting too much. I really, I had some discussions with police cops here where I really got too far. It was not about like uh, protecting me or the people around. It was just like giving us a hard time. And after the third discussion where I was like really close to say something bad to one of the cops to get arrested, I was like, uh, come on, we pack ourselves, we go back to Germany, lockdown there is a joke. Seriously, it was a joke compared yeah. to what Spain. And then we went to Germany and uh, in Germany, then there was already end of April, I played uh, the first car shows, you know, the drive-in shows. Actually, yeah. the first drive-in show all around the world we played and it was uh, the World Clapton Party, which was amazing. It was a um, How was that for an experience? Because you're used to playing in front of so many people uh, and now you're, you're looking at cars. <laughs> it was weird on one side. On the other side, it was the first show in front of people after two months. It was the 30th of April, and since 7th of March, I didn't play. I just did live streams here and there and tried to stay connected to, to the fans. I was so excited and so happy. I, I, I mean, everyone was super happy with the set because it was just like so much energy inside of me, which had to go out somehow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not taking any drugs, but my tour manager really asked me, it's like during that night, he was like, Rafa, are you okay? I mean, you're smiling like a fucking idiot, you know? Uh, but I was so happy to play in front of fans. We were like uh, waving out of the cars and just having a good time. It was was amazing. Like that feeling, uh, yeah, 
to appreciate you really appreciate that moment you know because uh, like normally touring some especially like in, in the tour in, in january i played like 14 shows in 14 days you know you go from show to show and it's normal to have all these people in front of you but that moment you re realize um yeah <laughs> how amazing that is you know to have that, that yeah i can imagine so you know, let's let's forget about the whole. Well, not let's forget about it, but let's move on from the whole COVID thing because I think that's something um, kind of the main topic these days, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which which makes sense, but um, I, I don't really think that we can look into the future of how everything's gonna evolve from there because that's just one big question mark, I think, for everyone. Um, yeah. Do you have some Do you have some thoughts about that? Like how the music industry will 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 be after this? Uh, yeah, the problem is uh, it's hard to to figure out what 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 is or what's what's the the when is the time starting after this? The, yeah. to say, so this would say uh, you you have to say like there's a day where people say like oh there's a vaccine and everything starts from you know like we stopped six months ago. And that's, I think, is the biggest problem. This is not going to happen. I think everything will be changed uh, dramatically. Um, I mean, it's like, you know, a human being is, is it's amazing how, how um, creative we are to get out of like difficult situations. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we will find a way. We already do. I mean, I'm doing my own parties almost every weekend at the moment. And we've found con concepts which are safe uh, and still bring like around 500 people together, which is great, you know. Um, I think like in the beginning, right after we have a vaccine or a kind of medication to heal uh, infected people, um, I think it will start like step by step. And uh, yeah, I think parties will be smaller, fees will get smaller. <laughs> um, it gets. A, I think it will get back to the roots, uh, back to the roots a little bit. You know, smaller club yeah. shows or bigger venues, less people, smaller fees. Not so much like. Uh, I mean, the last couple of years were like bigger, bigger. Everything had to be bigger. Just go to Asia, go to Las Vegas. You know, everyone tried to have bigger clubs, bigger shows, bigger fees. I think uh, we will go through a little cleanup, <laughs> which yeah, is exactly. so good for our pockets. But um, yeah. Let's hope for everyone we uh, will find a way to party together in yeah. the most normal way possible. Well, the good thing is, since you're already so long in the music industry, you already have experienced how the basic music industry uh, was. Because yeah. I, I also still remember when I started like 15 years ago, it kind of felt basic to me. If I look back at it now, it kind of felt basic. You know, you had some clubs, but there were like dark places with smoke and, and this, this flashlight, and that was it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and right now you have all these flashy uh, clubs with dancers and fireworks and, and all, everything. Yeah. So you go back to that time when you got started. <laughs> what was one of the biggest um, challenges you had? Because... Did you start off as a duo or did you first uh, was by yourself? No, first I was DJing by myself. And um, I think the, the biggest challenge for everyone is to make it out of your bedroom into the clubs. And I mean, I, I started early. So the good thing is um, it was good to learn it from scratch, but still be young. 
and like so i'm able to still be not too old and i can enjoy what's happening now or before covid yeah so um I think the, the the hardest challenge was to really make it out of the the private parties that I did in my parents' house and make it into the clubs. And um, I really, I mean, my the thing is, I had I was doing this this private parties in my parents' house every time my father was because my father's a pilot, so he was gone sometimes for a while. And these parties were getting bigger and bigger. And the last party we did was like around 350 people. So at home. At, yeah, at home. Um, well, we have a we have a pretty big house, thank God. But there was definitely too much for that house as well. And it's on a, in a really, really small village. And like the week when my parents got home, uh, people were asking them, "Was like what happened?" Because there was more cars in the village than ever before, you know. And I was still like seventeen, so uh, yeah, <laughs> I had to I had to explain a lot during that day. But yeah. there was a moment where I said, "Okay." something has to happen and i was going to clubs illegally even i was 17 and i saw the djs playing and i just wanted to make it there and it was not that easy to make that step because like sending out tapes during that time was uh, not enough and so i was just doing dj contests and i won the first one and then i won the second one yeah. and people knew that when i come i always bring like a hundred of my friends and uh i was not doing too bad so there was like the start to have a residency then the second one and then, uh, yeah, to make the next steps, learn to produce. I know there was like after four or five years of DJing, uh, sometimes, you, I mean, some people are like, have this one hit and then it starts right away, you know? Yeah. Really had yeah. to work ourselves from uh, bottom <laughs> up, you know? Yeah. So uh, there's definitely that time where you're like desperate because you think like, oh, it's not moving, it's not going forward. I want to have this, I want to have that. And then, yeah, I just learned that it's hard work. You know, you have to have talent and definitely uh, have to love what you're doing. Um, but it's definitely a lot of hard work. That's, I think, it's the hardest yeah. challenge. Yeah. What, was it hard for you to make a living from music? Or, or when did that me moment came when you first noticed, like, hey, I can actually leave my job if you had one or uh, I can pay my bills with just music? Um, actually, I had to make the decision because I was playing baseball professionally uh, and I was working in a marketing agency and for a magazine. So all this in the same time, baseball games on Sundays, uh, DJing Fridays and Saturdays and five days a week, a normal job as a journalist oh, wow. and in a marketing agency. So I came to that point, I was 22 or 21, 22, where I realized like, okay, if you want to do this 100%, you got to do it 100%. So I, I risked everything. I stopped playing baseball. I uh, quit my job and, uh, yeah, put it all on music. First six, seven months were pretty tough <laughs> because there was no extra income anymore. But then uh, it was the right decision because the first records, um, I spent more time on producing music. I spent more time on, like, really um, buying my records. And uh, the DJ sets got even better. From my opinion, I mean, for I think people outside that didn't really saw the the difference, but for me, I felt more comfortable DJing, and uh, yeah, then step by step, uh, um, it went all the way to the just hundred percent to be a musician. Yeah, and um, there was one thing you said which I wanted to ask about. What was it? it just slipped away. <laughs> oh yeah, the moment where you <coughs> where you decided to go all in. You know, like you left your day job. You just said it so easily, like I just left the day job and I went all in. But that's I've done it as well. I left I left college for it. But 
I remember that it was a pretty big step, you know, because everyone around you is telling you, especially your parents, like you have to study, you have to work, you have to make money. And then you as a little kid tell them like, fuck you, I'm doing something else. Yeah. How, how was that? For you? Yeah, there was a lot of sleepless nights. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, or for your parents. Yeah, no, I mean, actually, my my parents, as far as I remember, they actually, they were the most relaxed ones in the whole situation. They said, like, if this is what you love, and it was the same with sports, when I do something, I try to do it 100% or with all my heart, you know, I really try to, to um, yeah, to, to uh, do something which I really love 100%. And it was the thing with, with sports before. It was the thing with the, with the media agency I was working for. It was actually, I really enjoyed it. But um, then music came up and I was just like getting more and more and took more and more of my time. So I had, it was a couple of weeks. I know I remember I went, uh, f I went to Holland to surf for a couple of days and just tried to make a decision. I didn't have to do, do the decision from the outside. It was just... I knew there's something I had to change something, otherwise I will not be happy, you know, because it was getting too much. I was super tired at baseball games. I was tired at doing uh, working during the week. Uh, at night, I was producing and playing music with my friends. Yeah, I had I had to change something, um, but it was yeah. tough. Like the, uh, to make the decision was not easy, and the first uh, month after the decision was not easy too. Yeah, I can imagine. And then after the first month, like the the first money came in, or yeah, I mean, I had, I had my residencies, which was not too bad. So I had some, yeah, some kind of basic money. But uh, I mean, I had some months where it was hard for me to to pay my bills. You know, it was not easy. I've, I tried to really uh, get as much DJ jobs as possible, but it was a lot of hustling. You know, I mean, you know how the DJ yeah. scene is. Even for like 15, 14 years ago, it was not easy. You know, to get <laughs> a residency between all the other people trying to get the same job. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I got I got the right support even from my parents. I'm not financial <laughs> wise because my parents thought like, okay, if you want to do this, you got to do it yourself. You know, and that was the right way to go. But uh, I always had the backup. Like when I needed to talk to someone, it's good to have good friends, uh, parents always like behind you. That was definitely a good support. And. In that in that wrestling club you were talking about, was that a club where you could play the music you really enjoyed, or was that a club where you had to play different kinds of styles? Or no, thank God, thank God, I was always always uh, lucky enough to play in clubs where I was playing the music I wanted to play 100%. I mean, uh, I had the offer here and there to play like we had this mixed parties where you had like one hour of house music or. Mm. Russia house music and one hour of hip hop and and R and B. Uh, I tried to refuse these offers as much as I could <laughs> because every yeah. time I a show like that, even if it was money, and when I needed the money, it was fine. But I was always when I left the club, I was not happy. I left the club and was like, "What am I doing here?" You know, it's like people are sending me song requests, which is fine. But then, like you saw the, the next guy playing R and B, and they were dancing to the same stuff every week, and I was like, "Okay, this was not my plan. <laughs> I want. Yeah. I had a different plan than this, you know." Yeah. And I my residency at the club was called Poison Club. <laughs> mm -hmm. This club really was a poison club because it opened Saturday nights at 10 p.m. and went all the way to Sunday 5 p.m. Uh, yeah. and I, I tried to play like shows Saturday nights somewhere 
and then went to the club and I hosted the second area, which was the house club, but was from 6 a.m. until 10 or 11 a.m. So that's every Sunday after playing shows somewhere in my area before. So imagine just without taking any drugs, just having some drinks with your friends and stuff. It was tough. I really enjoyed it because I had like always three, four record cases with me and I really learned how to keep a dance floor even in the morning for three, four, five hours. I played everything from vocal house, disco house to tech house and just tried to build it up and give the people like kind of a story. And it was working out because the, the, the second area, the house area, after like two, three weeks got so packed that every Sunday was amazing. I was super happy, but also like that tired, you know, like you can't... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how tired you are on a Monday morning when you try to go back to the studio <laughs> but at the time and it was a good um, time to learn how to really be a DJ for five, sometimes six hours and to not yeah. play the same records just to, you know, create a real set I really enjoyed that's, that's some, that's something I, I've, I've had as well, I've experienced that as well but that's something I've seen changing in the, in the past couple of years like the, the thing you just mentioned playing <coughs> playing an all-nighter, telling a story through your music. Yeah, That's not something that happens. Well, I'm not sure if it even happens. I don't see it that often. But uh, is that something you had to get used to? Because now you get booked for the, the artist you are and the name that you have, uh, and they expect you to play a certain sound, certain sound in that hour or two hours that they book you. It, was that something you had to get used to? Um, actually, no. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about this quite a lot because when I remember the times where you played like a four or five hour set or like an all night long set, mm-hmm. is kind of miss it sometimes. But uh, for me, I think I'm a pretty flexible person when it comes about changes. Uh, I get used to things really fast and try to, to put myself in the right position to still enjoy it, but just adapt my sets to it, you know? Yeah. So I'm um, actually like, for example, when I play in China, it's so different to what I do in Europe. You know, it's one hour of playing much harder than I play normally somewhere else. But I still try to to that this hour is a plastic funk set, even as it's faster mixing, more energy, and much harder than what I normally do. When I play a two three hour set and I'm allowed to do it, sure, you have to like switch. But uh, I still enjoy that as well. Sometimes I miss it because. For me, like, I mean, DJing for me is kind of an art. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it for one hour. Um, you can really, like, transport a special feeling of, through the music you're playing. But for me, like, a five, six-hour set sometimes really was, like, yeah, it was a piece of art. Yeah, like, you start with yeah. the warm and you really build it up to a, to, a, to a peak. And then you try to keep the people, sometimes with, with classics. Really, I really enjoyed that. And to do this every uh, Sunday was tough, but on the other side, I was really excited. Every time I got there and I knew I had like the three, four record cases built up, it was, it was a good time for sure. Yeah, great memories, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, when did the partner came in? The what, sorry? The partner, the, the other guy you were uh, plastic funk with. Um, actually, it was already after... Uh, DJing myself until I was like 21, 22. I was already DJing for five years. 
uh, we met at the party and he was, uh, we played back to back at a party, which was totally empty. It was a horrible party. And he was so, supposed to play after me. And I've just felt bad that he had to wait like two hours until I was done. And then he was supposed to play. So there was 10 people on the dance floor. So we decided to just play together. And he almost had like 95% of the same records in his case, like I had. So it fit perfectly. And we decided to do something and just to do a side project. And then uh, it got better and better. People really liked that two guys for turntables thing, you know. And um, yeah, we did a project out of it. We called it Plastic Funk. And from that time on, we were together for quite a long time. Spent more time together than with our girlfriends. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, time. I think for him, it was not easy to really then finish all this, but he had some problems with his back, so he couldn't travel anymore. And he had to do some, um, some surgery. And after this, he was just not feeling it anymore on tour. Yeah. Yeah, kind of man. It sucks. When you started playing, like, at a certain point, you also started to sign your first record deals, right? I'm not sure if you still remember, but do you still yeah. remember how how you um, got in contact with those labels? Um, yeah, I mean, the first records we signed was uh, with a friend of ours, actually, um, who started a, a small underground house label. Uh, but during that time, he was really well connected. He was from Belgium, and the label was called Sure Player. <laughs> And uh, he had already like records by Kid Cream, Junior Jack, and during that time, these guys were the kings, you know. Big guys. Yeah, like the Junior Jack, Kid Cream. He had like Iron Carey and all like the heroes of of the baseline house music. It was amazing. So uh, he signed a couple of our records, and that was actually the beginning for us. Um, and we just had like single deals here and there, and just tried to send out music. And some labels answered, some not. It was pretty it was tough actually. The first couple of years, we didn't really see it growing the right way. But we released tracks. They got supported by a couple of good names, and then uh, yeah, everything took a bit more time than nowadays. You know, <laughs> nowadays uh, you can make a career in a week if you want to. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you have the right record, like, just imagine, you can produce a record on Monday, Tuesday, send it to the label, they uh, maybe do the last mastering, send it to Beatport, and after seven, eight days, it's on Beatport, and a week and a half after, it can be number one, you know? It's like yeah, 50 yeah. Ago, and the most extreme possible. version that might happen, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it is possible, but <laughs> yeah. uh, at that time, it definitely took a bit more time to, to bring a release uh, to the source. But uh, I think the first, record, uh, the first record deal we signed was with Ministry of Sound, uh, Ministry of Sound UK and Germany. And that was huge for us because um, they started their label and uh, that was the first step to really release music on an international uh, major label. Uh, but the thing is, I was like, even when I was 20, I played my first shows in US and with 21, 22, I played my first shows in Ibiza. So I always were, I met a lot of people from labels and made some contacts here and there. So for me, it was always a little bit easier through the touring to get in contact with some people. I just had to deliver a quality then. And that was then the, the harder part. <laughs> yeah. And, and do you think, looking back in hindsight, that networking part has been a key element of your success? A hundred percent, yeah. Um, I always try to 
yeah, networking. I always try to have a good network all around the world. I mean, I started with this pretty early, and this is why, like, with 22, not well, with 20, I played my first show in Miami, and it was just because the resident DJ of Nikki Beach was one of my my buddies when he was in Germany. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was pretty pretty big, you know, for a 20 year old. I was not even allowed to be at the party. I had to fake my ID to uh, to play and to get into the club, you know. Yeah. So uh, it is 21, right? Sundays in Miami, that was the place to be during that time. There was three to four thousand people. So uh, yeah, from that time on, you know, you smelled the international DJ thing, and then you try to get out of Germany as much as you can and try to tour around. So I experienced that pretty early, and then you get addicted, you know. Then you want more of this. Yeah. And and now that you, if you can look back in hindsight, and I think the whole Corona period kind of helped you to reflect on all the things that might have happened in the past couple of years. Um, what's one of the biggest things you, you've learned from all those years? Um, I think the biggest problem I see in our, our business, I mean, there's there's like two or three like big problems I see you, you have to work on and sometimes you have to avoid. <laughs> is uh, first of all to not uh, lose your path. You know, sometimes um, you sh if you work on something and you uh, you love one kind of, of style of music, sometimes, you know, people get lost because they listen too much to other people instead of like, just listening to themselves and just try to do what they like. It is good to get some advice from other people, but it should like just make just better what you like to do. You know, yeah. I see a lot of artists who just block themselves out because they listen too much, especially in the underground. I see this a lot. People try to be more underground than other people. And some people say, this is commercial. You cannot do that. And they start producing bullshit instead of just doing what they like to do. You know, same in the com commercial uh, commercial area. It's like there's a lot of big room DJs who just like so much influence from the Internet, from social media that they just try to be uh, someone else instead of being themselves and just try to do what they really like to do. I see people yeah. like imitating uh, other big DJs because they see them on YouTube or play their playlists instead of doing their own edits and try to yeah, get their own style, their own signature on a, on a DJ set or in a production. You know, There's too much yeah. copying because copying gets so easy, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the Second biggest problem is definitely that this whole uh, business can totally burn you out. And I saw a lot of my friends around me who, uh, yeah, just completely lost it with drugs, with alcohol, with uh, just like having a heavy burnout and just not being themselves anymore, you know? Okay. And I mean, I had moments like three, four, five years ago where for me, I was just like difficult to answer my phone. Because it was stressing me out, you know, and it was the the moments because I'm on the phone normally nonstop because I'm networking, talking, doing business, uh, and that was for me like where I realized, okay, you know, that's too much now. It's really like you need more time out, not only just one night from Sunday to Monday. You need two nights, maybe three nights, and do more sport to have like uh, to yeah push like the bad stuff out and just focus again, you know, on the positive yeah. things. That's definitely one of the. the Second biggest problems, for sure. Those are, those are some good tips. You know, I, I ask these things quite often to artists, and um, most of the time you get good tips, but I, I really believe in this one. 
maybe because <laughs> I've experienced it myself, so I I know what the the, the effect of it could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I completely agree with you that um, sticking to yourself and 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 staying authentic to yourself, doing what you love to do, it's super important as an artist. Um, and also taking care of yourself is the most important thing, which unfortunately a lot of artists forget about. Um, yeah. So yeah, completely agree. I mean, uh, it is not like uh, that I'm <laughs> following this 100% myself. I'm, I'm trying to learn every day, you know, yeah. uh, especially the time now. I mean, it is something I have never thought I would experience but it's a lesson every day i mean i got my ups and downs you got days where i'm like sitting with friends on the terrace and they ask me hey how is it doing you know how are you how is everything going and i'm like man <laughs> what should i tell you i finish another two records i will release them i'm happy about it but what for you know for the small parties i do in germany i'm i'm happy to have those parties don't get me wrong but you know everyone all of us if you love what you're doing you want to go back to playing shows people uh talk to people don't wear a mask don't do this you know uh, i want to go back to social life you know i mean we have this but uh still everything is different at the moment so it's ups and downs i mean man i'm, I'm learning every day <laughs> for sure same here well i want to thank you for um for taking the time to do this and uh, yeah giving some insights into your life and into your thoughts at this moment um I believe it's always valuable to to share your thoughts because it might might help someone somewhere on the world who's listening right now. Thanks, man. Um, Thanks, and man. I wish you uh, best of luck in the upcoming months. Hopefully, uh, things will start to go back up and running again. But I'm a bit afraid that it's going to take longer than we might hope. Yeah, I think we have to stay strong at least until the beginning of next year. I mean, the winter there's not so yeah. much going to happen during the winter that's for sure <laughs> we try to do yeah. small shows here but uh yeah let's see thanks for having me man good to see you no problem man <laughs> thanks have a good day have a good soon huh hey everyone what's up it's me joey suki and thanks for listening to this podcast episode i would really appreciate it if you would subscribe on this podcast on itunes or just share it with your friends who you think it could be valuable too so thanks again for listening and see you next time